Tonight we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 10 and uh, going down to uh, verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 16, and the question that's been asked, two questions have been asked. Uh, one, does this give another uh, excuse for divorce? Uh, uh, some say that it does, and it's called the Pauline privilege, but we'll talk about that more when we get into the text. And the other question is to please explain what it means about uh, the husband being sanctified and in some translations it has the children being sanctified. But we're going to be looking at the NIV tonight because it's probably the clearest of the different translations that you might have access to. So please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 16 and spend some time dissecting these verses this evening. Before we start looking at the verses that we have picked, I think it's important that we understand the context of what's going on here in this particular chapter. Evidently, the Apostle Paul uh, was giving some questions or was given some questions by those who were in the church at Corinth. Um, he, of course, deals with a variety of different issues as far as the church at Corinth. There's, they had all kinds of problems and had all kinds of questions. But these particular questions evidently were questions that had developed um, because of the situation they were in. If you notice in chapter 7 and verse 1, the very first verse says, Now for the matters you wrote about. You wrote about. They wrote to Paul, and evidently they had some questions about what to do in certain situations. And the certain situation that they were dealing with, we see in verse uh, verse 26, where Paul makes allusion to the fact that they are dealing with a present crisis, or some translations have a present distress. And we're not quite sure what this present crisis was or what this present distress was, Most people believe that it was dealing with the persecution of that particular day or perhaps the persecution to come. There may be, it may have been the crisis of how rampant paganism was in that particular uh, city and how that the majority of the people living in that city were pagans and were involved in some very terrible uh, idol worship practices. And so that might be what's being talked about. But we need to understand and appreciate the context of what's going on here and why these things are even being discussed. He's discussing what to do in the present situation that they find themselves in, in Corinth. In fact, he says in verse 1, after saying, Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. Now you first read that and you think, well, Paul's telling us that men shouldn't get married. Uh, Some translations have it's not good to touch a woman, but it's, it's talking about the same thing. Well, you got to understand when he says it's good not to marry, he's talking about within the context of what they were having to deal with at that present time. If they were dealing with persecution, then it would be advisable for a man, and later on he talks about women not getting married and widows not getting married and other people not getting married because of the present distress. And the reason being, if you were married and you were facing persecution, and you had a wife that you had to worry about and children you had to worry about, then you would have all kinds of problems about whether or not you're going to stand up for the Lord or you're going to protect your family and that type of thing. And Apostle Paul says this, in this present situation, it's not good for a person to be married. Uh, so he's dealing with that particular idea. If, he is, if the present distress is talking about the rampant paganism and idolatry in the city of Corinth, 
it would be good not to marry because it would be hard for you to find someone to marry. And if you did marry, that might cause you all kinds of problems as far as your marriage is concerned. If you were trying to live a Christian life, but you were married either to a man or a woman who was wholly immersed in idolatry. And maybe that's what's going on here because of some of the things that he's going to say later on. But I think it's very, very important that we understand that the things that he is writing about in this particular text are things that are dealing with the situation at hand. Evidently, there were members in the Corinth church that were saved, and they were saved after they were married, dealing with the context of what we're actually going to be talking about tonight. There were some members there who were saved after they were married, but some of these believers were now having a very difficult time at home. And so basically we understand and get the impression that they wrote the Apostle Paul and they basically want to know, now that we are Christians, does our conversion alter the situation of our marriage to someone who is not a Christian? As I said, this was a situation in which there was a great deal of, of paganism going on. Uh, there was temple prostitutes. There was all kinds of things that were involved in the, in the worship of these idols. And so in the context, what's happening here, they want to know, well, now that I'm a Christian and I became a Christian after I was already married, I've got myself a mess. What do I do about it? How do I handle the situation? And that is what Paul is going to be talking about here in this section of Scripture. He also talks about other things dealing with marriage relationships and with virgins and all that kind of stuff. But the question wasn't asked about those things, but instead about this section of Scripture right here. But do keep that in mind and keep that background in mind as we start looking at the text. But notice what he says beginning at verse 10. He's changing the subject from the unmarried to the married. He says, to the married, I give this command. And then he puts in parentheses, not I, but the Lord. We need to understand and appreciate the fact that the point that Paul is making here is that he is saying this is something that the Lord has already discussed. This is something that the Lord has already given a command on. So there's no need for me to give another command on this. This is something you should already know. And so... What does he say? What has the Lord already says? That a wife must not separate from her husband. If she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. He's basically talking to both people because this applies to both things. He talks about the wife in the first part and he talks about the husband in the second part and the reason why the husband shouldn't divorce his wife is for the same reason. Because the Lord has already commanded in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9 that you cannot divorce your husband or divorce your wife and marry another except it be for fornication. Marriage is supposed to be for life. That was God's plan. And so, as he says here at the very beginning, he sets the stage of what the Lord says and this is the way it's supposed to be. A wife must not separate from her husband. If she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband, my own emphasis, but it's the emphasis that needs to be made, must not divorce his wife. Now once again, keep in mind the setting here. The Apostle Paul is dealing with some people who says, well, now that I'm a Christian, man, I've got a husband that's just, you won't believe how sinful he is. Or I've got a, a, a wife, and you won't believe how sinful she is. Now, 
First of all, he's setting the stage for this important thing. In Corinth, as I said, they had temple prostitutes. And if your husband was going to have relations with a uh, temple prostitute, well, that took care of the situation. So he's reminding him them that there is a situation here. If your husband goes this far or if your wife goes this far and they were involved in it too, then that could be the end of the marriage relationship. This is what the Lord has already said. There's no need for me to say anything more about this. But then... To, that, to those people that it doesn't apply, he says, to the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. Now, it's funny, down through the years, I've heard people saying, well, this is something that was Paul's opinion, or this is something that he didn't get the Lord's permission to say, but somehow or another, he decided he needed to say it. That is not what's going on here. What he is doing here is he's contrasting the fact that this is something that the Lord has never spoke about. We can read all through the Gospels and we never find anything about what he's about to say. But still what he is saying is not coming from him, it's coming from the Lord. In fact, just a few chapters over, seven chapters over, over in in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26 or verse 37, he talks about how that everything that he tells them is a commandment of the Lord. So he's not speaking something that the Lord didn't give him permission to. He's not speaking something new that the Lord wouldn't want us to know about. He's just saying this is something that the Lord has not discussed previously. Previously, he took care of the situation about marriage and divorce, but now I'm going to deal with the situation because of the fact that you are in a situation because of this present crisis or this present distress. But notice what he says. He says, if any brother has a wife... Now, brother is important. This means this is a Christian. If you are a Christian, has a wife who is not a believer, and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. In other words, even though this person is an unbeliever, even though this person is a pagan, and going back up to the previous verses, and they haven't done anything that would cause them to commit fornication and dissolve the marriage, if it was just the fact that she was now a Christian or he was now a Christian, but yet they were living with a pagan husband or wife, you must not divorce that person. Just because you became a Christian after you were married and you discovered how that you need to start following God instead of following these Greek gods, Just because you knew you had to live your life a different way, even though your husband or wife may not realize that they need to live a different way, that is not an excuse for divorce. In fact, once again, he's very emphatic. He says it twice. He must not divorce her. She must not divorce him. Just because you are living with a sinner doesn't give you the right for divorce. And that's the implication of this present uh, distress that they are dealing with and how that you need to go ahead and stay with them. Now, he's going to have more to say about that as we get toward the end of the section. But then he puts this in right here. He says, For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Now, why does he say that? Why all of a sudden does... 
when he's talking about how that you can't, if, if your wife is willing to leave, uh, live with you, then you can't divorce her. If your husband's willing to live with you, you can't divorce her. Why did he bring this up next? Well, because more than likely what was going on when Paul received the letter from them, they were saying, well, the fact that I am a Christian and I'm married to an unbeliever, that means that relationship's not a good relationship. It's not something that God approves of. Therefore, can't have anything to do with it. Same way a husband says, well, my wife's an unbeliever. Um, we got married, uh, and then I became a Christian, and this is not a good situation at all. It's, it's just not a valid marriage anymore because we're just too different. No, it's still something that's approved by God. In fact, look at what the text says once again. It says, for the unbelieving husband has been sanctified. Now, we hear that particular word, and we think sainthood, and the word used there can be used that way. We think of the word holy, and that word can be used that way. Some translations have the word consecrated, and that can be used there. But also it means the idea of not being unclean, something that is not unclean. In other words... When God says something that is clean, it is clean. And that's what's being talked about here. Um, If you, very quickly, hold your finger here at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, but look at what uh, Paul says over in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. Here he uses the exact same word. Notice what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through uh, 4. He says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And here's the things that these false teachers were going to teach. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. In other words, one of the things that's being talked about in this passage was that uh, there were things that you could not eat, you couldn't marry because it was something that would make you more holy. But notice what he says. Verse 4 again, For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if to be received with thanksgiving. Verse 5, For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Now, obviously, when we use the word sanctify here, and this exact same word we have here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14, it's not talking about making the husband a Christian. It's not talking about the fact that somehow or another that because uh, a woman is married to a non-Christian, but the fact that he is married to a Christian, somehow or another that saves his soul. In fact, it's interesting, you're going to get down to verse 16 where the Apostle Paul says, How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you'll save your wife? In other words, if this relationship continues, he might become a convert one day. So the sanctification here is not the idea that somehow or another that which is unholy has been made holy because of the individual. In fact, the text refers to him as an unbelieving husband. The sanctification here is saying that the marriage relationship has been made clean. In other words, the marriage relationship is holy before God. The marriage relationship is consecrated before God. It is a true marriage. The argument evidently they were making is, well, now that I'm a Christian and know what I know, 
I should not be married to this particular person. My marriage is invalid. No, that's not true. Your marriage is sanctified. Your marriage is consecrated. Your marriage is a marriage that God approves of. And that fits right with what's being talked about in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 4 when it talks about the fact that there's no reason why somebody should refuse or forbid to be married or abstain from certain meats and whatnot. If they have God's approval, they are sanctified and therefore it's okay for us to be married or to eat whatever God has given us with thanksgiving. The sanctification is not the... Uh, the sanctification does not fall upon the individual here. The sanctification falls upon the marriage. In fact, he goes on and makes his point by saying this. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified or made clean or God approved through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Now, what Paul is saying here is, in other words, if you say your husband is unclean and that your marriage is unclean and it's not sanctified by God, then if your marriage is illegitimate, then your children are illegitimate. They are unclean. If you're saying the union that brought the two of you together is unclean or not sanctified, then that would mean that your children are unclean or not sanctified, illegitimate. If the wife's becoming a Christian nullifies the marriage, then the children are illegitimate. He's proving his point. How can you say that your children are clean or sanctified or holy as it's put here, but then at the same time saying that your marriage is not? He's trying to make, make sure that he understands, they understand the argument that he's making. But... We know that he's talking about someone who is not saved, and we'll come back up to verse 15 in just a moment. He says, How do you know, wife, because you, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? In other words, this union needs to continue. If you continue it in what Jesus has said, under the rules of marriage as he's already given, if you continue this relationship... How do you know that not one day that that man may become a Christian or that woman may become a Christian? Now, every now and then you'll run into somebody who will say that uh, verse 14 is teaching that uh, when a non-believer marries a believer, that somehow or another that saves that person. Well, that's not what the text is saying. If it was, then that would make no sense to what he says in verse 16. But also it would throw away the entire rest of the Bible. The Bible is very clear in Romans chapter 14 and verse 12 that each one of us individually will give account to us uh, to God. We cannot be saved by proxy. I can't have one, someone else because they are saved means that I am saved. We can't pass on our salvation to somebody else. Instead, if I want to be saved, I have to believe. I have to repent. I have to confess. The reason why we know infant baptism is wrong is because of the fact that a baby cannot confess his sins, and a baby, of course, doesn't have any sins. But once again, we know that this is not the case, the fact that a person is, that marries a person who is a Christian, somehow or another saves them, is because of what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. Once again, there is the idea that Paul's talking about here in verse 16. 
Peter is telling women to make sure that they are patient with their husbands who are non-believers that by their example they may one day convert them. Well, if what Paul is saying here is that somehow or another that when a non-believer marries a believer, that sanctifies them and makes them saved, then why in the world does he say what he says in verse 16? And why does he say what, he sa- uh, what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1? It would make no sense because they would already be saved. Well, but let's go to verse 15, which is kind of the, the, where the question that's really been asked, uh, of the first question. Verse 15, it says, But if the believer leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Now, as I said, there are those in the religious world who look at verse 15 and think that Paul has come up with some kind of exception to the rule. Uh, They refer to it as the Pauline privilege. And basically, they believe the Pauline privilege is that if you are married to someone who is an unbeliever, and that unbeliever decides to leave, that gives you grounds for divorce, that you're free just to do whatever you want to. Now, don't misunderstand me. There may be an unbeliever who leaves a Christian wife, and because of the fact that he has separated himself from his Christian wife, he gets himself involved in all kinds of things and maybe ends up uh, marrying another person or having relations with another person, and there would be grounds of divorce there. But what's being talked about in this particular verse is just simply talking about what happens if the unbeliever leaves. Now, once again, let's keep everything in context of what we're looking at here. First of all, we're dealing with the situation of the present distress. Whatever that distress was, whether it was persecution or paganism, there would be the possibility because of persecution and because of paganism that the unbeliever would leave his mate. Because of persecution, it would be, man, I don't want to stay married to this woman. It's going to get me killed. If it was paganism, it's because I'm not going to stay with this woman because she won't let me do the things I want to do. But whatever the reason is, Paul says, if the unbeliever leaves, you can let him leave. You don't have to fight to make him stay. The reason being, a believing woman or man is not bound in such circumstances. What circumstances, Paul? The circumstances I've been talking about in this whole letter, this present distress. But yet, you look at verse 15, and it says nothing at all about divorce. Nowhere in the text does it say, here is a reason for divorce. It just simply says a woman or man is not bound in such circumstances. Literally, not bound means you're not in slavery to that person. And in other words, if that person is going to leave, then you can let them leave. It's not, you're not a slave to that person. In fact, the reason why he says nothing about divorce in this particular verse, in verse 15, is because he has already taken care of the divorce situation. What did he say earlier? He covered it in verse 10. This is a commandment of the Lord. This is not something to come from me. This is what the Lord said. He's already addressed this issue. A man, a wife must not separate from her husband. If she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband A husband must not divorce his wife. Now, why do you think he started with that? Why at the very beginning of this section of Scripture did he say that? Because he was setting the stage for everything else he was about to say. 
He said, the Lord has already taken care of this issue. Now, your present distress issue, I'm going to talk about that now because the Lord hadn't talked about it. And he makes sure that they understand that just because you're married to an unbeliever, you can't divorce him. Just because your wife may be an unbeliever, you can't divorce him. But if your wife or husband leaves, you don't have to follow after him. In fact, he says in the latter part of the verse, he says, God has called us to live in peace. In other words, we're trying to keep peace in this circumstance. What is the most peaceful thing to do? What would be the struggle that would happen if you left Christianity to follow after this unbeliever? You're not bound to do that. Even in present-day marriages, if a, if a wife or a husband uh, tries to force their mate into uh, doing something that is unsinful, then they don't have to do that. If a father or a mother tries to make a son or a daughter do something that is sinful, we don't have to do that. Our first allegiance is to the Lord. But verse 15 says nothing about divorce. It just simply says that if they leave, they leave. You don't have to follow after them because of the situation that they are currently in right now. So you combine all this together and you discover that Paul tells us what the Lord has already said on the issue. You discover what Paul wants them to know because the Lord has not discussed this issue in the Gospels anywhere, what to do about, the certain, about this present distress. And to sum it all up, he says, the rule still applies, they've always applied. If you leave a husband or you leave a wife, you've got to be, remain unmarried or, or until you can be right, reconciled, you cannot divorce your wife. And if you married an unbeliever in this present distress, and he's willing to live with you, then you can't get a divorce. And if you married a wife and she's willing to live with you, even though she's an unbeliever, you can't get a divorce. And you can't use the argument that somehow or another, because you're married to an unbeliever, that your marriage is not a proper marriage. Because as the text says, your marriage is sanctified or made clean. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through a believing husband or else your children would be unclean. But as it is, in order, if the relationship is truly sanctified, as God has said, as God approved, then your children are also holy, or some translations could also say consecrated or sanctified also. And I hope that answers that particular question, and I hope all of us learn something from that. But every time I stand up here and do questions and answers, I always am reminded about the greatest question of all that any person could ask, and that's the question, what must I do to be saved? You remember how in Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas were in the prison, and there in Philippi, they were singing praises to the Lord, and all of a sudden there was a great earthquake, and the Philippian jailer saw that their their, uh, bonds were loose, and he was about to kill himself, and they stopped him, and he asked them the question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's the greatest question a person could ever ask. And if you're asking that question tonight, we'd love to sit down and talk to you more about it in detail, but basically the Bible tells us that we need to have faith in God and His Son, Jesus Christ. We need to be willing to repent of our sins, confess His name, and be buried in the watery grave of baptism for the remission of our sins. For those of us who are Christians tonight, if you have a need, we're here to help in any way that we can, but we hope any time that we have questions and answers that it will cause you to do more Bible study so you can come to your own conclusions because... 
Like I said, I'm expressing my conclusions, and I will go to heaven on those conclusions, but you need to go to heaven on your conclusions because each one of us, as Romans 14 and verse 12 says, must stand before God individually. I can't save you. Uh, your wife can't save you. You're, if you're a child, your parents can't save you. You stand before God individually, and you're going to be judged on your own works. And so even when we have something like questions and answers, don't ever take my word for it, but be like those noble Bereans who search the Scriptures daily to even to see if the Apostle Paul, what he was saying, was true. But if you have a need tonight, won't you come as together we stand and sing.